You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, sponsored by Natural Stacks. If you're into biohacking, performance, or getting more out of life, this is the show for you. For more on building optimal performance, check out our blog that has recently moved to naturalstacks.com. You were looking for a way to change your life. You got it. I kind of think in some ways selfishly that it should remain a secret because it is such an advantage. Natural Stacks. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance. Optimize yourself. All right. Happy Thursday, all you optimal performers. Welcome to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Muncy, and I want to welcome in our guest today, Mr. Kevin Johnson from Zero Gravity Institute in Austin, Texas. Hey, Ryan. Kevin, hello. Thanks for hanging out with us. It's good to be with you, my friend. I'm really looking forward to this. So for everybody listening, Kevin is the, uh, the owner and the man behind Zero Gravity Institute. Like we said, it is one of the most amazing float centers uh, that I've ever been to, and, and from what I hear, one of the most amazing in the world. Um, when we get started, we'll let you tell everybody what's so great about it, Kevin, but before before (laughs) we do that, a couple of housekeeping notes. Um, so as always, you guys listening, make sure you head over to naturalstacks.com. So if you notice, we are switching that over. It's no longer at optimalperformance.com. Go to naturalstacks.com to see the video version uh, of these podcasts and get all the links and show notes. Any of the resources that Kevin talks about today, we'll have links to on that site. Um, and also uh, head on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Let us know how much you like the show. And with that said, Kevin, tell us about Zero Gravity Institute. Well, on one level, you know, Zero Gravity Institute is, is another float center. Um, we, uh, definitely go about it in a little different way. I think that's one of the things that makes us so unique. Uh, for starters, we, um, we manufacture our own flotation tanks. And so, these are tanks that we use at our float center, and then we we also make them available for other float centers to buy as well. And tell everybody what's great about your tanks. Well, so these are really large. These are uh, what we actually call float rooms. So for most people, they're familiar with either a traditional small rectangular tank or uh, perhaps a pod Um the kind that are more shaped like an egg and they open like a clamshell. So ours are float rooms. So you're in a, um, a rectangular enclosure that's six feet wide, eight feet long and seven feet tall. So it, it looks like a little white spaceship cube. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and we have a very sophisticated um, control system on them. Everything is automated and computer controlled and we're able to retrieve a lot of data about the um, conditions in the float tank, the the, for instance, like the water temperature, the UV light range, the um, the water chemistry for the solution, cleaning. We, we use hydrogen peroxide and UV light to sanitize, as opposed to using harsh chemicals in there. Well, basically, we just sort of brought the float tank into the modern era of you know technology and use it using everything we can to make a great float tank that's really cool that you guys are, are able to sanitize it without having to use the harsh chemicals because i know that's a concern for a lot of people yeah especially because you're in such a closed in environment you know the the air the airflow in, in some tanks the airflow is almost non-existent um, in ours, there's a passive ventilation system, but still it's a limited amount of airflow because we're also concerned about air temperature. Right. So we don't want to move too much air through the tank. Um, and when you're using things like chlorine or bromine or, or ozone, which all, all of those have been used for float tanks in the past, you have the issue of what's the, what are they gassing off? You know, what are the byproducts of that process being used to clean that solution? Hydrogen peroxide and UV light is great because the byproducts that we create with that process is just water and oxygen. So, so very, very natural and healthy setting for you. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've been lucky enough to float in your facility and being cool. in the float room, you can actually stand up and, and that's an amazing thing. So what, what prompted you guys to, to try to do that? I mean, I, I realized that one of the key benefits of that is that it overcomes the fear of claustrophobia or being closed in that a lot of floaters have is, is right. that something that 
like, were you claustrophobic or, or was it just, Hey, this is what we're hearing. Let's help people out. No, I, 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 um, I'm not claustrophobic. I don't mind being in tight spaces at all, but, um, for a lot of people that is an issue. Uh, I started working in the floating industry like 30 years ago, 1986. Exactly. So, um, at that time, you know, we were pretty limited to what our options were in terms of commercially available float tanks. And just over the years that I worked at that float center, uh, I saw a lot of people that um, backed out of floating because they came into the center ready to do it. But of course, at that time, it wasn't like you could just pull up the internet and look at a picture of one. So you didn't really know what you were getting into. And a lot of people came in and they were just so small that they were intimidating for people. So that was one factor. The other factor was that um, floating is becoming so popular with athletes the, the 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 average size of the person getting in a tank has changed a lot. You know, it's not unusual for us to see athletes that are football players and stuff like that. And trying to get them in a tanker pod seemed like an issue. And uh, and then the last thing was just a personal issue for me. I, I like to do really really long floats, and in the smaller tanks and pods, I would find myself after two or three hours running out of good usable oxygen and that always really bothered me because I'd be really deep in my float and I'd, I'd literally be pulled out of my float because I wasn't getting enough fresh air then get hot and stuffy so okay. I like to do super long ones so and, um, yeah I that's my next question how long do you float what, what's the longest you've ever floated what's your average float now the longest I've ever floated uh it was nine hours okay and I've, I've done that several times. I, occasionally, I used to do it more often than I do now. I, I don't have the same time available to me that I used to have. Right. So, um, But I like to at least a couple times a year go in there and do an all-night float. Um, so I'll go in after closing and just put myself in the, in the tank and stay there till morning. Okay. Um, my average floats, I, I, I really like to float for two hours. That, that's kind of my favorite time that's that's uh, not too big of a commitment too big of a chunk out of my day but it also gives me time to get really really deep into my float into some of those deep altered states of consciousness that accompany that level of relaxation mm -hmm. and really have time to explore and work my way through those through those areas so I think two hours is my favorite. Three hours is pretty good too, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned being in the float industry for 30 years. Uh, some of the trends, you, you said you know, more athletes, so larger individuals. What other trends have you seen over the 30 years that you've been in the industry? And, and what do you see for the future of floating? Uh, the, the main trend that I see is that floating is entering the mainstream that that's what's really cool about it. Like when you have a commercial float center like ours, I mean, we're, we're super super busy, um, and and we see this huge, really wide demographic that's coming into float now. It, it used to just be the kind of the people that were a little more esoteric, a little more new agey, uh, people that were already meditating or were specifically looking for some kind of psychedelic mind state to enjoy. Now we're seeing, you know, really conservative people older people, younger people. Um, we're seeing, you know, I mean, we have everything at our float center, politicians, police officers, firefighters, veterans, stay at home moms, athletes, hippies, psychonauts. <laughs> uh, our youngest floater is like six years old. Our oldest one was probably in her nineties, early nineties. It's, it's just beautiful, man. It's, it's, it's busted out of the kind of confining subculture that it was in for so long now now it's hitting mainstream we see everybody coming in it's great yeah it, it's been very cool to to hear about it and and watch it grow and becoming mainstream um yeah i mean there's hundreds of float centers opening i i get probably on average between five and ten emails every day from wow. people that are planning to open float centers they're getting information about our float tanks they're uh, I do a lot of consulting work also, yeah. so um, a lot of people will be calling me about in just information on how to get started. So it's really cool. I, I think there's literally hundreds of float centers that are trying to open right now. Yeah, they're they're popping up like CrossFit gyms, and it's that's amazing. a good thing. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. When you when you think about it, it's kind of having the same trajectory as like yoga did mm-hmm. over the past couple of decades, where it used to be, you know, really unusual to see a yoga studio somewhere. Now they're completely ubiquitous. You see them everywhere. Even tiny little towns have a yoga center or two. What do you think it is that draws people to floating? That that's kind of helping it have this growth surge. I think it has a lot to do with technology. In that, um, for two reasons, I, I think that people need some kind of an antidote to the amount of stimulation that you're that we're getting every day. You know, we're we're we've only been, you know, we've been anatomically modern with these bodies and these brains for like two hundred thousand years, but all this technology just hit in the last two decades, right. and especially in the last decade, right. like where we were ten years ago compared to where we are now. Now there's no escape. We go home, we're, we're driving in our car with our GPS and our, we've got text messages coming in and we've got emails to answer and we get home to a big screen TV and surround sound. It's, when do we ever get to shut off all that external stimuli? So I think that's one of the, the, one of the big reasons that draws people. The other one is that technology is allowing us to spread the word about this amazing beneficial tool for health and optimization just like we are right now right right we're, we're, we're reaching you know potentially thousands of people today with this conversation yeah and that's i mean honestly that's how i first heard of floating was uh, through joe rogan on his podcast joe's the, one of the biggest advocates that we have for floating i, I love that guy he's beautiful um he he's actually one of my business partners in in the float tank manufacturing end of it so Very you know cool. i i can say with 100 percent certain certainty that joe rogan knows what he's talking about and he's <laughs> willing to put his money where his mouth is we like people like that that's awesome yeah yeah all right well let's let's shift gears a little bit um okay want to cover a topic that that we've wanted to have on our podcast for a while and and i'll kind of tell our listeners how you and i met we you know, I, I mentioned having floated at zero gravity, and that was back in August of last year when I was in Austin. Um, we didn't know each other at the time, and, and you weren't working. Somebody else was there. Um, but ran into you uh, at Body Hacking Convention in Austin mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, and you had a table full of books that talked about consciousness and these altered states and that exploration of our mind, um, mm-hmm. kind of self-actualization stuff. So. That's that's really what I want to dig into here. I think we have a lot of listeners who um, have a hunger for for some knowledge that isn't quite mainstream, and, and it's yeah. kind of hard to find somebody with the knowledge and the willingness to talk about it. So, um, in whatever realm you're willing to talk about it, uh, pretend like you are, you know, taking th- somebody through Psychonautics 101. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's that's a pretty big subject. <laughs> that, that could be the entire podcast. <laughs> um, I, I, you, you've been doing this for thirty years. I know from from you know our, our brief interaction that that you've you've tried a few different ways to um, explore consciousness. Um, what would be your favorites, and and how should somebody get started if that was something that they felt called to do? Well, so I, I think at this point it's safe to say that floating is my is my favorite psychedelic. Right. Um, for, for a few reasons. Um, uh, one of them is that it's, you know, safe, it's legal <laughs> and um, at this point more and more accessible, like we talked about. Um, when it comes to to floating, you know, there, there's I, I kind of talk about floating in terms of four general categories of benefit. Right. So we have stress reduction and relaxation. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, we have. Um, Physical rejuvenation and healing, recovery from workouts and injuries and surgeries, things like that. Uh, cognitive function and creativity. We're doing some some chemical work in the brain as far as uh, extra neurotransmitter production and things like that. Uh, it affects how you how creative you are, how quickly you take in new information and respond and and utilize that information. The fourth category is the one that we're talking about now, which is altered states of consciousness, consciousness exploration. And, uh, you know, deep meditative states. Mm-hmm. So I'm a person who feels like as a, as a, as a, as a energetic entity incarnated in a human body, I believe that there's a lot to be gained 
from exploring your consciousness through the use of any number of, of tools, whether that be a flotation tank, meditation, yoga, uh, or to where we start introducing compounds like psilocybin, DMT, thing, things of that nature. So, um, you know, I advocate for these psychedelic medicines because I believe that there are many, many benefits that are coming from them besides just some amazing visuals and an interesting afternoon with a couple of your friends. <laughs> All right, right. You, you said something. So that number three, the creativity and the the increased production in neurotransmitters. I know a lot of our listeners' ears perked up. Let's put mm -hmm. that on the back burner, and, and okay. I promise you guys listening, we'll come back and and we'll get Kevin to talk about that. But we'll stay in this the, the altered states. So you mentioned some benefits other than cool visuals. What are some of those benefits? Well, I, I think I think they have to do with. Um, when we explore our consciousness, really, in many ways, what we're doing is answering the deep-seated questions that we have that are more existential kinds of questions, like, you know, what am I doing here? What direction is my life going? How do I change my direction? A lot of times when, when people are taking these – I'm more of a fan of the plant medicines – Right. So, so my, my interest and my experience has always been more toward plant-based compounds. So I'm, you know, thinking about things like ayahuasca, cannabis, psilocybin, um, uh, mescaline thing, you know, th things of that nature. I think the plants are very, very powerful teachers for us. Right. The plants dominate this planet and they have something important to teach us and sometimes it's just as simple as figuring out a way to ingest these messenger compounds and suddenly the things that we need to learn about the lessons that we need to learn the teachings that we need to hear as individuals come come to us uh when we're working in cooperation and in conjunction with the spirits of these plants i like it that's that's very well said now you mentioned that floating is growing in popularity in your mind because we have more of a need for it now with technology and the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. Do you feel the same way about psychedelics possibly that we need to explore those questions that those questions are maybe going ignored or, or suppressed or unanswered more so in today's world than ever before for the same reason? Yeah. Well, I, I definitely see a revival in interest in these compounds and particularly in the plant medicines. I mean, we've seen ayahuasca come out of the jungle, you know, in the last 20 years, it's, it's, um, popularity is growing at an exponential rate. Mm -hmm. The, um, people are seeking, a lot of people feel stuck in modern life. They, they feel like there's something that's leaving them unfulfilled. They have questions that are not being able to be answered by traditional modalities of study, traditional religious modalities, philosophical modalities. These, these, these things are coming up short now. And um, I think people, as, they, as they're able to educate themselves more through podcasts like this, YouTube channels, all the information that technology brings us is pointing toward the, the benefits that these compounds can, can give us. And so I, I don't know if you see it, but I see a definite rekindling of interest in these things. Um, and, and not only among kids, you know, like I, I think obviously there's that, you know, college age explorer, right. explorative thing that we all did, you know, right. and do and continue to do. But, you know, I, I sit in ayahuasca ceremonies with people that are 20 years younger than me and 20 years older than me. And, and so that's, that tells me something. Yeah. And I've seen it in, it's not just in the psychedelic, I guess, realm. It's, you're also seeing it in, in fitness, um, where there's a calling to, you know, start moving in a more primal pattern. It's, it, mm -hmm. it's getting away from the, the typical big box gym setting and it's going to, uh, more outdoors or more, um, 
using your body more like a Swiss Army knife, for for lack of a better word, with with things like CrossFit or Strongman. Right. You're seeing a lot more tire flipping than you saw ten years ago or fifteen years ago. Kettlebells uh, like got super popular, right? Yeah, right. And you know, you're also seeing it in the diet. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of uh, John Rate wrote a great book recently called Go Wild. Uh, there's there's Rewild Yourself. There's all this. Movement back to um, to nature and outdoors, you know, like you said, that kind of modern world that is leaving a lot of people unfulfilled. We're just saying, wait a minute, I need need to be outside more. I need to move more. I need to eat more naturally. Um, You know, let me explore what's in my head. Yeah, and I and I don't I don't see it as much as um, a rebellion against these things because a lot of people that I hear advocating for getting back to nature, advocating for these plant medicines, all of this stuff, they're you know a better diet, a more natural way of living. They're they're also happy to have their iPhone <laughs> and their laptop with them. Right. It's more about like it's it's less of a rebellion against those things and more of a. Um, an attitude of finding a balance yep. in in both of these, so that we can utilize both things as a tool to optimize our performance as human beings. Because that that's really what what we're talking about. We're talking about body hacking, talking about consciousness hacking. We're talking about altering our consciousness to optimize our existence. We're talking about eating better. You know, it, these these are all technologies. Yep. Yeah, I like it. So talk about your experiments in the tank. I mean, do you have, uh, I guess, have, have you tried all of these psychedelics in the tank? Psilocybin, ayahuasca. I can't imagine taking ayahuasca and going in the tank. I don't think. I, 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 don't I think can't do imagine that. doing that either. I, um, as far as ayahuasca goes, uh, I, I really can't imagine um, drinking ayahuasca without the, the guidance that a good shaman brings to that scenario. I, I think the... I think the shaman's really important. I think the the ikaros. Are you familiar with? Uh, have you have you have you uh, had the opportunity to drink the medicine? I have not had a chance to drink it. But as as we talked about at Body Hacking Con, we've had um, Keith Norris on the show. Oh, and I love he, Keith, and, and he's talked about ayahuasca. And I, I drink and, ayahuasca with. Keith. And that's yeah, yeah that's, that's what you said when we were in Austin. Is that that you participated in his most recent ceremony? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So during during the ayahuasca ceremony, the shamans sing these um, very rhythmic songs, and they're they're purposely designed to control the ceremony, that control the energy in the ceremony, to direct the ceremony in the direction that they want it to go, or to change its direction if they don't like how it's going. Right. And and these these ikaros are. Um, uh, the shamans that, that Keith and, and I work with, and um, they use, uh, they're, they're very inclusive. So they'll use chanting from, they'll use Buddhist chants, Hindu chants, they'll use um, Christian uh, lyrics. They, they basically draw from all of the positive, higher vibrational forces that they have at their disposal. They, they consider all these to be tools in their, in their shamanic toolkit. And, uh, and so I, I really enjoy the, the Icaros and what they do for the ceremony. When, it, when you hear them, uh, when we're, um, in channel normal, like we are now, they, they, they don't come across as particularly powerful. Um, they're rhythmic, they're repetitive, uh, they, they definitely are melodic, but that's not their strongest point. For some reason, when you're with the medicine, and you're hearing the the ikaros and and you're feeling the control that they have over your experience. You learn to appreciate them very much, and you never hear them again the same way. When you hear the ikaros, even even when you're not with the medicine, now when I hear them, they mean something different to me. They're very beautiful, very powerful. Okay, very cool. Yeah. So then you know psilocybin. Um, or, I've done yeah. I've okay. done. I've taken psilocybin in the tank. Okay. I've taken uh, LSD in the tank. Um, so how do those impact your experience in the tank? Yeah. So this is a really interesting thing. This is cool that we're talking about this because, um, so we're going to like kind of open the subject of like the minimum effective dose uh-huh. of these compounds versus heroic doses as Terrence McKenna liked to talk about. Right. Um, so this is very interesting. If you take a, uh, 
what we would call a minimum effective dose for you right now. If, if let's just, just for the sake of argument, let's say one gram of dried mushrooms for, for you at home right now or at, at wherever you are, that has a certain effect on you. Mm-hmm. Really, when you get into the tank, most of that effect is gone. And this surprises people when I say this to them. Yes. The, some of these um, um, entheogens require that we have some kind of sensory input mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. that we can gauge the effect of the compound. Right. Right. So without light and sound and temperature and how comfortable am I sitting in this chair versus laying on this couch versus crashed on the floor versus outside on the grass, under a tree, in the woods. Like all of these things have a very, very profound effect on how these compounds are uh, communicating with us and how they're teaching us. And when you get in the flotation tank, you're stripped of all that sensory input. And so really what you just feel is the slight euphoric tinges of these things. It, it, it almost feels a little bit like microdosing. I'm glad right? you, yeah, I'm glad you use that word. That's something that I will, will ask you about that in a few minutes, but so you're saying if if we were going to take psilocybin or, or LSD going into the tank, would we continue to take the normal minimum effective dose or would we up that? Well, you know, the caveat there is you wouldn't want to do that anywhere in the United States because well, it's not going to be legal course, <laughs> to do it. Of course. Right? Um, there are some places where where um, that is a more gray kind of area. Um, but But... The, to answer the question that you're actually answering, asking me, is um, you, if you took a um, minimal effective dose, you, you wouldn't feel that much from it. You would have to graduate to what we consider to be heroic doses, <laughs> like four or five dried grams of mushrooms would, um, would then translate in the tank in a, in a very unique and powerful and profound way. Okay. M- maybe I would even venture to say that that is those four grams of mushrooms would be um, more powerful in the tank than they would be not in the tank. Because now we're coming down to like, we are just going to dig deep, deep, deep into your consciousness with no distractions whatsoever. Like we're really taking that experiment to the next level. Now, how does that exploration of the consciousness compare or contrast to say ayahuasca? So it's probably not that black and white. Okay. Um, in I guess, in I guess general, like, these are two very different experiences. Yeah. So, like earlier, you mentioned that, that we have different tools. Right. So, like, how would you compare the scenario in which each tool would be most applicable for use? Well, I would say that. Um, Okay, so it's a very interesting thing to compare, right? Because because if you look on a molecular level, ayahuasca is working with because of dimethyltryptamine. Uh So uh, Keith probably gave you a great explanation of how they're they're putting a a leafy um, shrub called chacruna. That's a, a Psychotria veritas is the name of that plant. Very very high in dimethyltryptamine, and combining it with the ayahuasca vine, Banisteriopsis capi, which is a, a monoamine oxidase inhibitor. Basically, it allows the dimethyltryptamine to become orally active in your system, right? Yep. So, um, interestingly enough, if you look at the molecular structure of psilocybin, it's, it's also a um, very similar molecule. If you just look at the shape of the molecule, they both resemble serotonin in a very interesting way. They obviously work on this serotonin system. And um, basically, if I have my uh, if 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 I understand it correctly, the um, the psilocybin molecule is like a four hydroxyl version of a dimethyltryptamine molecule. So they're very, very similar in shape and size. One just has a little extra tail on it is, is really all it is. Okay. So you would think that they would affect you very, very similarly, right? Mm-hmm. And yet they really don't. They're, they're two very different experiences, pretty much no matter how you're taking them. You know, ayahuasca is, is a very guided, very visionary, very lesson-teaching-oriented kind of experience where to me psilocybin seems like it's um, being cut loose in the most amazing amusement park you've ever been to or something. <laughs> you know, it's a little less um, 
Well, you know, I, I won't even say that because I don't want to. I don't want to say that one is better than the other one, or or greater or less than the other one. From in my personal experience, that's kind of how they play out. One is more kind of um, shamanic, visionary, guiding kind of tool, and the other one is just sort of like playing in the ether, just being in the universe and exploring the the uh, boundaries of your consciousness. Okay. But, but it's also a really interesting thing to compare, like for people that have um, smoked dimethyltryptamine mm-hmm. and taken it in, in the form of, you know, in, ingesting it orally with ayahuasca, two very, very different experiences, what yeah. you see, what you learn, what you, you know, it's all very different. So context is really important here. Yeah. You mentioned when we were talking at body hacking con that, that was a much shorter commitment uh, as opposed to eight hours. It was more like nine minutes. Yeah, exactly. Now, now you could have told me that my experience was three hours long and I would have believed you. (laughs) Right. But, but we really were timing it and and smoking it. it, it, It's so easily metabolized that that's what's, that's what is the miracle behind DMT. And we can, talk about that more but we metabolize it so quickly and so easily it's it's almost like we were made to receive it and so when you smoke it it passes the blood brain barrier very very quickly it's literally like getting shot out of a cannon uh, you're you're immediately away from your body you're 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 just experiencing yourself as pure consciousness which is the best reason to experience it right to to understand that you are consciousness that you are a higher vibrational being that your that higher vibration is muted in a way when we stuff it into the the meat body the you know the spacesuit as it were that it diminishes that vibration. So one of my favorite books is Power versus Force, um, and it's mm-hmm. from uh, David Hawking. So you're nodding; you're familiar with his work. So yeah, I, I love the concept of of seeking to vibrate at a higher level. You mentioned with DMT that it's almost like we are made to receive it. Can you elaborate on that? So, as we know, DMT is endogenously produced. So what, what, what we mean when we say that is that we're producing it in our own bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I'm just going to interject. I mean, I think that's important. A lot of people don't realize that it is an endogenous thing. So it's just like testosterone is, is made endogenously in the body. And right. so is DMT. Right. All kinds of things. And, and we can supplement the, these, um, these compounds by, by ingesting it from other sources. And that's, that's what we're doing when we're, when we're using uh, DMT, right? So, but the fact that it's produced in our gut, it's produced in our lungs and there's, uh, I don't know if we've moved beyond speculation, but a lot of people are now talking about production in the pineal gland. And when we, since we produce it endogenously, we have the ability to easily um, process it, to metabolize it, right? And, and, I, and I, th- I think that leads us to kind of a bigger, cooler, more interesting conversation, which to me is, why is this stuff everywhere? Because it's in most plants, it's in most living things, right? It's in, it's in the meat that we eat, it's in the salad uh, contents that we eat, the ingredients, you know, it's in green leafy vegetables. We find it in plants. We find it uh, just, I mean, we find it, it's ubiquitous. It's, it's, it's everywhere. And, and I, and by experiencing and working with that compound, it, it, it keeps me constantly questioning why, why is it everywhere? Why is it put in plain sight? Why is it put somewhere that we can't be on this planet without bumping into it? On a regular basis. Is that almost leading to the question in your mind of, you know, is this something that we need for optimal health, optimal living? I think it is on a couple of levels. Okay. So I, I don't necessarily think that we need to, in, that we need to uh, ingest more DMT from our environment. I think our body produces what we need. There's, there's some theories that, that we're all, everybody's talking about now that, it's possible that DMT is what's triggering our dreaming mechanisms. That when our once our brain waves slow down, 
and we start into REM sleep, that we're getting small doses of endogenously produced DMT from the pineal gland. And that's why our dream states are so weird and so psychedelic, right? Because this is the compound that's, that's doing it. Right. So, yes, we need it to live healthy, optimized lives, but maybe we only need what we're producing to, to meet that standard and meet that goal. But if we want to move into the realm of exploration, because I have some very interesting thoughts about why DMT is so ubiquitous, why it's everywhere, why we keep bumping into it, why have we been using it for thousands of years? If you go to the Amazon, there's at least a 2,000-year lineage of the use of that compound. Let's hear these thoughts. Well, so after, after my initial experiences with DMT, um, I, I began to encounter um, an intelligence in the flotation tank, like an intelligent entity, a, a fellow traveler. And this entity was... Um, Okay, I know this sounds a little. I'm, I, we're going out on the edge now, so everybody just everybody just bear with us because that's that's the conversation that we're having. So that's what we uh, signed up for, right? Yeah. Um, when when I first ex- my first experience with DMT was smoking it, and during that experience, I found myself in the presence of a very powerful feminine energy. And it seemed very alien to me. It, it definitely was extra dimensional. It, it, this, this, this presence came from another dimension. And we had our, our experience while I was using DMT. And, but that experience was limited in terms of how much interac- interaction that entity was willing to have with me. I was very curious and definitely pursuing like, hey, I want to know more about you. And she basically kept a distance from me and told me it's not going to happen here. Now, I, I, I don't know exactly what that entity was, but I know that when you're using DMT in the form of ayahuasca, it's very common to also experience a very powerful feminine energy, that of the Pachumama, Mother Earth, Aya. And, and I definitely experience being in the presence of Aya every time I've uh, drank the medicine. So after both experiences, uh, smoking DMT or, or drinking ayahuasca, when I go back to the tank, I can put myself in the presence of this powerful female entity. And while I'm with her, it's very easy to understand the nature of the space that we're in. I have a very, it's, 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 hard i have a very complete understanding of it while i'm there with her mm-hmm. but when i'm not in that space i lose a good percentage of mm-hmm. my understanding mm-hmm. okay i often have equated that to like i feel like i went to school to be a brain surgeon and i knew it very well until the minute i walked off the campus and i got off the campus now i only remember 20% of it right that's kind of the 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 feeling behind it what I what I have been able to bring back with me is the idea that DMT is like a molecular key, and and when when we put that key in the right receptors, it allows us to expand our perspective and basically um, navigate along the edges the the border territory where the boundaries of two realities meet each other. So are, are you familiar with the multiverse theory yes. in, in quantum physics? Yeah. So when we look at the mathematical formulas behind a lot of those quantum theories, we see that it expresses a multiverse theory that looks like soap bubbles on the surface of water. Um, and I believe that where, those, where two of those bubbles are touching each other. You know how they, they lose their form. They're in a, they're in a perfect circle when there's, when a bubble is standing alone, mm-hmm. but, but when two bubbles come together, they create a flat surface mm-hmm. between where the two bubbles are meeting each other. Right. Is this a good, good visualization for yeah. you? Yeah. Okay. So I, my understanding is that, that dimethyltryptamine 
is a navigational tool that allows us to navigate on the borderland where those two universes are pushing against each other and, and losing their shape, you, losing their spherical shape, right? Because this is where I meet this fellow traveler. She is always what seems to me to be on some kind of a border. She's always on one side of a line and I'm always on another side of the line. Okay. That's true of my experiences smoking DMT and then meeting her in the tank. Okay. Right. Yeah. Experiencing that same feminine energy with ayahuasca is more like walking into a deep and meaningful hug. Ayahuasca <laughs> tends to be around you and in you on a cellular level. And it's much more of an embrace. And, and um, there's definitely an intimacy there when you've made that commitment to, to uh, drinking ayahuasca. It's a six or seven <laughs> or eight hour commitment as yeah. opposed to nine minutes. Yeah. I think that's something that, that keeps coming back no matter who we talk to. And, and, you know, if it's, if it's LSD, if it's psilocybin, if it's ayahuasca, that, that it's, it's a commitment that there's, you know, once, once you're in, you're in, you, you can't, there's no getting out until it's, it's over. Right. And, and for many of us, we're lucky to have the luxury of time and space to be able to do these things. Right. But for many other people, they have kids, they have a job to worry about, they have a position, a cultural position that, that has to be taken into consideration. And there's just no way that they can accept the offering of these teachings just because of the the, the method that it's being delivered. Do you think that'll right? change? I mean, not to ask you if this stuff will be legalized, uh, but I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, with the growing popularity of it? Uh, yeah, it will be changed. I have every reason to believe that it will. Um, where I was headed with it was the, the flotation tank is providing uh, a safe, legal, readily accessible alternative to people that, um, can't commit to a six or eight hour ceremony. Mm -hmm. They have, they have to have an exit door because their life requires it, right? Like if I have children, then I'm not probably not going to be able to set aside six or eight hours <laughs> to do, to do this incredibly hard work with the medicine. Right because I need to be focused on me. And if I have children, I've already made that commitment to be always focused on my children. And I can't be out of touch for eight hours. Nobody can get a hold of me if there's an emergency or whatever. Right. right? right. So people have all these different situations that, 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 um, that prohibit them from making a commitment to, to this kind of exploration with these kind of medicines and compounds. Whereas the float tank, you know, it's by your rules, you set the time, you go in there. There is an exit door. You can take it anytime you want. You can turn the light on. You can get out and shower and be done with your float if you need to. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, I think the, um, the, the tanks become a very powerful shamanic tool that doesn't require the same level of you know, commitment that, that some of the other plant medicines do. So that, that's one half of the question. The other half is it is my daily prayer that that um, psychedelics find a legal footing in this country so that we can all benefit from them. Culturally, we lack some um, rites of passage, as it were. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the psychedelics allow each of us as adults to um, experience a type of rite of passage. You're, you are never the same once you drink ayahuasca for the first time, you, you are never the same person, you know, because you are a river and you can't step into the same river twice, you know. And, and so I, I, with organizations like MAPS, um, the Hefner Institute, the work that, um, that um, um, I'm just drawing a blank on his name right now, the um, – Rick Strassman, the guy that did the um, DMT research at University of New Mexico, mm -hmm. um, Rick Doblin at MAPS and the work that MAPS are doing. Um, um, I, I think eventually we're going to rally and we're going to get some legal footing. Already ayahuasca is getting some legal footing in the United States under the um, Religious Practices Act, right. the Freedom of Religion Act. Right. So, okay. How are things different for you post some of these experiments? What insights have you gained from that? Well, um, so are you referencing experiments in the flotation tank or just experimenting with those compounds in general? 
I guess in general. Okay, because I, uh, in terms of in terms of using them in the float tank, what I've what I've concluded over many years now. So so I've been floating for like thirty years. Um, uh, I definitely did a lot more experimenting with adding compounds to the float tank when I was younger. Um, I think what I've learned from that is that ultimately I like using the flotation tank without adding these other compounds to it. I like knowing that what's happening, that these deep states of awareness that I'm entering, these deep meditative states, these altered states of consciousness are, are a natural reaction to the natural reaction that my brain is having to being subjected to this very specific environment. Okay. I like knowing that I can, that I can go to these places without anything. Yeah. Just, just apply the requisite stimuli and there, there I am. Now, do you think your ability to go there without is increased or enhanced because of your visits there with assistance previously? Yeah, there, there's no doubt about the fact that um, using these, especially the plant medicines, mm-hmm. these compounds have the uncanny, the uncanny ability to expand our perception. It's, it's, it's almost like we've been looking down a tube our whole lives, and then suddenly with these compounds, that, that narrow range of vision suddenly gets expanded out. And once you see these things that used to be just peripheral, once you experience these things that are out on the edge past normal awareness, you can't deny it. You can't then come back and go, oh, that's a bunch of hooey. None of that exists. Right. And so it changes your perception of the everyday world because you can you can walk around Austin not under the influence of these compounds (laughs) with the complete assurance and the 100 percent awareness that there is shit going on. That we're all that we're not aware of. Right? Well, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think we need psychedelics to know that about Austin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now we'll circle back. Um, earlier, you mentioned when we float that certain neurotransmitters are increased. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? So what we think is going on in the tank is that we're we're producing the the three biggies in neurotransmitters. We're we're getting dopamine. We're getting serotonin. And we're getting melatonin. And w- while this this is a little bit hard to measure because just the environment of in, being in the flotation tank, it, it um, uh, it's, it's a little hard to quantify that, that this is actually being done. But w- but what we do see is the evidence that um, when people are coming out of the tank and the next few days after their floats. They're seeing elevated moods. They're seeing less pain. They're seeing sharper thinking. They're they're experiencing better sleep habits. All of the things that we recognize as um, the beneficial effects of having the proper levels of neurotransmitters mm-hmm. in in your system. So um, when when we're using the flotation tank, we're taking about ninety percent of the workload off of the brain and the central nervous system. And what it's doing is allowing uh, our system to reallocate resources that used to go toward dealing with all the sensory input. Now the, now the brain and the nervous system can reallocate those resources toward doing background work that it doesn't normally get to do. Really simple and basic things like uh, extra digestion, increasing circulation, um, oxygen flow in the blood, things like that as well as a little more complex things, like there's an endochromatic reaction. We, we definitely are producing extra endorphins. That's why we have that cool euphoric feeling that we get during our float and for hours and hours after our float, right? Yep. That's because of elevated endorphin levels. And, uh, and then the more complex things, like producing those neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, melatonin, even some more uh, exotic neurotransmitters that, that we're only producing in very special situations tryptamines tryptophans things like that you know so we it's it's a little anecdotal we we we're 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 hearing about the effects of the flotation tanks and we're attributing it to neurotransmitter production and and i do believe that any day now we'll we will be getting study results from you know places like the laureate brain institute in oklahoma and other places that are committing resources to studying the 
phenomenology that's going on inside flotation tanks, not, not just the physiology, but very cool. Very cool. So before we uh, post this, I'm going to try to have you email a few of these links. I would love to link to all of these places that you've mentioned on the show notes so that folks can click and go visit those. And if they want to get more information. Great. Yeah. I'd love to do that for you. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So, you mentioned uh, yesterday when we chatted, mentioning a retreat. Is that yeah? Is that something you would like to to share? Oh, thanks, man. That's yeah. Thanks for bringing <laughs> that up because I just literally five minutes before we sat down to do this interview, I I came from looking at a big piece of property. Um, uh, it, it it came to us through. Um, Eric, one of our employees at Zero Gravity, is also a, a ranch manager. He, he works with exotic livestock, and um, he's, he operates this ranch north of Austin that's, um, that's uh, very consciously run. They, they don't use hormones or antibiotics. All of their livestock are, are grass-fed, and it's, just, it's, it's so beautiful. I just came from there. I'm just high as a kite from even seeing it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and there's a desire on the part of the of the um, person who owns the property to facilitate our interest in creating a retreat center that would be um, for things like yoga retreats, meditation retreats, um, just a conscious place to take a group of people for you know whatever kind of retreat that you might want to do. And they're working on organic gardens, so all all the food that would be served at the center would come. From you know right there, like literally field to table, it doesn't never even gets put on a gasoline powered vehicle. It literally gets walked from the garden over to the preparation center, and it was just such a beautiful and powerful piece of land, you know, in the Texas Hill Country. Nothing around for miles and miles as far as you can see. It's rolling hills, um, ancient oak forest, you know, oak trees that are hundreds of years old. So we're going to see what we can do. We just looked at it today for the first time and. Hopefully we can put something together there and provide a beautiful, amazing place for people to retreat to. That would be really cool. So I guess yeah. I was going to ask you, you know, what what's the vision, and you know, are there going to be treatments, a holistic wellness center? Yeah, well, of course we we've had the vision for a while, and it's just been about trying to find a piece of land that could accommodate what we were looking for that had the right kind of energy to it in the right location, all of that. So ideally, what we'd like to see is like a central round ceremonial building large enough to to hold you know maybe 50 or 60 people that that ceremonial space could be used for anything from a meditation or a yoga retreat or you know a wedding or a, a medicine retreat you know anything like that with some um small self-contained um uh, accommodations around the ceremonial center where, okay. you know, little buildings that would have beds and showers and a little sitting area and stuff, you know, very, very cool, very Zen, very, um, uh, something that would really contribute and facilitate the kind of work that we want to be doing out there. Right. right. Yeah. And, and then a nice kitchen and a dining room where we could all prepare good, healthy, organic food and, and break bread together and, and uh, spend beautiful time with each other like that. That sounds really cool. I, I hope that happens. And- yeah, and then we would have we would have different treatments available. Definitely, we put some flotation tanks there. That's obviously any anything we do is going to have a flotation <laughs> tank. Um, we we work with a lot of massage therapists, um, uh, Reiki therapists. You know, my wife does Reiki therapy and and holographic sound healing. And I, I think that there's a lot of things that we could do in a in a space that was properly prepared like that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds phenomenal. Yeah, and we do a lot of that stuff at Zero Gravity. We have other treatment rooms where we do other work besides just our float tanks. And we're constantly looking for ways to expand that. But part, part of our mandate with Zero Gravity is to be in service of our community. So, so we're always very attentive to the needs of that community, and we try to facilitate that in any way that we can. If people are interested in exploring these different modalities, then, then we look through all the people that we know, our beautiful, ever-expanding tribe, mm-hmm. and, and we pull people out of that group that, that have the skills and the expertise to properly facilitate that. I like it. I like it. And, you know, you mentioned the experience at Zero Gravity, and, and I'll just 
tell the, the folks listening, the chairs before you even get in the float tank are phenomenal. They're, yeah. They are, they have special massage chairs. They're zero gravity chairs. And, uh, there's some green lasers on the wall. There's a waterfall and, uh, it's almost better than the float itself. <laughs> almost, almost. Thanks. Thanks for those nice words, Ryan. Um, one of the benefits that, that I had when, um, before I ever opened my float center, I already had, you know, a couple decades of floating experience, uh, you know, 350 or more floats, thousands of hours in the float tank. And I, and my wife as well, you know, she's, she's been into floating for a long time and she, you know, we had this vision of creating an environment where we we give you everything that you need from the minute you walk through the front door, we, we take control of your experience and, and we're very specific about how we're doing things and when we're doing it and how the environment in our float center changes as you move from one part of the float center to the next. And it's all in an effort to relax you, to bring your energy down so that by the time we get you into the flotation tank, we've already got you really relaxed. We've already detached you from the outside world. And and so simple things like using the massage chairs, um, you know, we we put you in a robe and slippers almost immediately. We have you lock away all the things that you relate to the outside world, your clothing, your jewelry, your telephone, all of that stuff gets locked away. You can't have it. <laughs> you put on this robe and it's like now now you're you're in our hands and and we we guide you all the way through your process. And, and make sure that you have the most effective float and beneficial float that we can provide you. And and I, I have to give kudos to my um, the employees that work for Carol and I at the Carol's my wife, um, uh, and and she really runs the float center more than I do. I, most of my time is spent on the manufacturing end. Mm-hmm. She really is responsible for the day to day float center operations, and she's brilliant at it. Um, she and all the other people that work at Zero Gravity, they float like crazy. They all just love to float. And, and we encourage them to do it as much as possible because it helps them to understand the needs of our clientele. Yeah, We know, we know you, you can grab anybody who's working at Zero Gravity and ask them just about any question related to floating. And they're going to give you a, an intelligent, informed, articulate answer to that question. And I, and I love every one of them so much. What they do for us, what they bring to the zero gravity experience is absolutely priceless. There's no way that I want anyone to think that it's only me or Carol doing that. It's, it's, it's our employees. I, don't, I hesitate to even call them employees because I feel like they're my family. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful group of people there without an exception. I love every one of them. Well, while you're talking about it, tell our listeners where they can find more about Zero Gravity. And we'll have a link to this uh, as well. ZeroGravityInstitute.com is sort of our hub. And um, you can you can contact us there. Of course, we have Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We have all of that social network stuff. Um, I've actually just recently... Um, set up a, a, a separate Twitter account for, um, for myself. It's at Floatmaster Kev. And um, because I want to be able to freely discuss with people subject matter that might not be appropriate to put on my business um, social network accounts. Um, a lot of people contact me with questions about plant medicines and um, consciousness exploration. And there's conversations that I'd like to have from me to them mm-hmm. without having to go through zero gravity Institute. Very smart. Yeah. So on that note, is there anything else, any final words that you would impart to our listeners on the consciousness exploration or altered states side? Uh, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. There's kind of two things that I want to say about it. Um, maybe three, <laughs> uh, when it comes to combining some of these compounds, these psychedelics that we've been talking about with the flotation tank, um, I, I, I really don't recommend it, right? Because, because of the legal issues behind it and because for the most part, unless you have a tank in your house, you're going to be in a public setting. And, and that's not always a good combination. Also, that you should be a master 
of these medicines before you start combining them. So a lot of floating, a lot of experience in the flotation tank before adding a compound to it. A lot of experience with this compound before you take it in a flotation tank, right? right. Um, you'll, you'll really get a lot more out of either one of them if you leave them separate from one another. Mm-hmm. The, the, the float tank is such a powerful tool. It, it, it offers us so much opportunity to get the same kinds of exploration and the same kind of teaching and lessons that we get from these, um, these uh, psychedelics. Um, I, think, I think that's something that's really important to kind of differentiate between these two um, processes. The other thing is to realize... Uh, and this is kind of my main message about floating, is that floating is a practice, just like meditation or going to the gym. We don't go to the gym and do one workout and come out and go, great, I'm in shape, I'm healthy, <laughs> right? It's not, it's not a one-off event. And floating is a practice, and we have to be willing to accept the subtle changes that happen just like we do with meditation, the subtle changes that floating brings to our everyday life in our perceptions, in our dealings with other people, in our self-awareness, in our sense of our own spiritual nature. These, these are little grains of sand that are added to the scale one or two grains at a time. Cert, certainly experiences in the flotation tank can be incredibly profound, mm-hmm. right? But that's that's just kind of icing on the cake. That's a great benefit that we get from floating. It's, it's the effects of cu- – the cumulative effects of floating are what we're really, really interested in. Yeah. And I see powerful changes in myself, in the people that, I, that are around me that I love and care about, and, and the people that are using our float center and floating on a regular basis. I see profound changes happening in their everyday lives, and that's what I want to invite people to participate in. It's that part of floating. Very cool. So before we let you go, you have to answer the question that all of our guests answer. This is your last one. Okay. Your top three tips to live optimal. And if you want, you can count that last practice of floating as one. <laughs> right. Yeah, I would. Right. Okay. So I, I would say that, um, that a, um, a healthy respect for what you put into your body. Mm-hmm. That, that when you eat food, that when you take these compounds, when you take uh, plant medicines, that, that you have um, an understanding of what you're doing and a healthy respect for what you're doing. And, and anything that you put in your body, you know, you should consider your body sacred. And so any, anything that you're doing with your body, anything that you're putting in your body needs to be taken seriously. That, that's probably number one. Number two is to have some kind of a practice that you do on a regular basis, whether it's meditation or yoga or flotation tanks or, or any, any, whatever it is for you, whatever works for you. And realize that one of the main reasons that we want to have these practices are to benefit the people that we love. The work that I do on myself makes my wife's life better. Because I'm a better person, mm-hmm. I'm easier to understand, I'm easier to communicate with, I'm easier to deal with, my negative side doesn't come up as often or as regularly. So when we're doing the work on ourselves, we're doing it for the people that we love. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can combine these two ideas together, and, and to be honest and open and speak your truth would probably be the third one. I don't think you can go wrong with these things. I think you might fail occasionally, as I have done and continue to do, but but at least I'm doing it in the most optimized way that I can. I like it. I like it. And I mean, even like you said, even even with that number three, if you're if you're honest, you you, you live your truth, and even if you fall short in some other way, I, I wouldn't consider that a failure. But you just fall back on that one, and hey, we're not perfect. I made a mistake. You own it. You make it right, and. Okay. Right. I mean, like, you know, I, I get I'm fortunate enough to get to have these kinds of conversations with people on a regular basis. And sometimes I come away thinking that I'm not really being 100 percent honest with people because uh, we only talk about the positive things, you know, but but I'm not perfect. I'm no more spiritually enlightened than you are. I'm not better than anybody else out there. I'm in the middle of doing my own personal work as well. And sometimes 
I screw up terribly. Sometimes I have a short temper. Sometimes I say things that I can't believe it's coming out of my mouth. I, I, I fail all the time at things, you know, I'm no better than anyone else, but I, but I sure, I, I'm, I'm so happy that I have the practices that I have and that I have the outlook that I have. And then I'm, and I, I promise everyone that even when I screw up, I'm trying to be the best human that I can be. It's hard to incarnate into a human body. Yeah. It's, it's, you're, you're, you're um, a much, uh, when, when you're not so uh, permanently tethered to the, to the body, you experience yourself as this beautiful, enlightened being where negativity is not a part of you. You're an, you're a, uh, uh, an incarnation of the universal love that's out there for us all. It's when you come back into the physical <laughs> realm, when you when you get back into the the meat body that you that you really get the opportunity to be a jerk. <laughs> you know. So yeah. this is our work. This is our struggle. How do we uh, incarnate as human beings and be the best possible incarnation of this higher vibrational entity that we can possibly be? Well said. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we do this podcast. That's why we have people like you on it. And man, Kevin, this has been awesome. I can't thank you enough for hanging out with us and, and sharing your practices, your journey and your insights with us. Well, thanks for having me. And I, I, I have to say that I really appreciate you and others like you that are putting this information out in an open and honest way. I mean, I know it's a lot of work to put a podcast together. I've been trying to get one together for a long time. <laughs> I have so much respect for you guys that are that are knocking these out on a regular basis and being consistent and giving people like me a platform to talk to you and, and to your listeners and, and to share our message. I, I hope that anything that we say here is meaningful and useful to, to those people. It's not just me blathering on about this stuff. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not you blathering on. I think this is yeah, very useful. Nothing stuck. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance. Optimize yourself.